Richards Bowie Versus Tillian Is this year when I'm glowy Am I killing? I hope it's not a blowy Or a villain It's time for Bowie versus Dylan. Hello, welcome back to Bowie versus Dylan. I'm Shirley, and I like Bowie. I'm Jake, and I love Dylan. And today, folks, we're heading way back in the time machine, way, way back to an early year for David Bowie, at least in the public imagination, and uh, a middle period, uh, restless, uh, everyone hates him period of Bob Dylan. 1970. Chaz, I hear you have something to say about that. I, well, I do. 1970, first of all, we just got to talk about that golden decade of Ooh, the 70s. Golden. And how Bowie just, I don't, you know, he couldn't release a bad song. He released... I would say in the 70s, he released one truly bad song. That's it. From Just 1970s to through 1979. Right. One bad song. Out, I will extend it out to 1969 to 1980. Right. I've heard you he say that. He released 13 albums and two live albums, and they're all just... Oh, magnifique. Uh, I say. Magnifique. Magnifique. Says, magnifique. Says you, but yes. Says I, but says almost everybody. You know? <laughs> but you're, like, you're, but you're the guy. album for the period is still like a pretty decent album. Oh, yeah. You know? Sure. And his best are like some of the best albums ever. So, mm. I'm just saying. Mm, some of the best So, before ever. we dive in, mm. before we dive in too much, I want to give props to a book I'm reading Ooh. called David Bowie, A Life. Oh. I'm good. a few chapters in. Uh, first of all, Jake, we need to dissect the, the name of the author really quick. Yeah. Really quick. Okay, I'm ready. The author's name is Dylan Jones. Uh-oh. <laughs> How'd that happen? <laughs> I know, I know. So we got Bob Dylan in there and Bowie's actual, you know, real, real last name, Jones. Yeah. Just Dylan Jones right in so there. So does it turn and in... I, and I had seen, I first heard about this book, Jake, strangely, when I was, like, searching for Bowie versus, you know, it was when we started the podcast oh, yeah. and everything. I was doing all these searches for stuff about any way in which their lives intersected, which is not very much. No, crazily, discussed. crazily. But of course, when I'm searching for Bowie and Dylan, this book, Bowie, David Bowie, A Life by Dylan Jones, kept popping up. Yeah. And it's not, it's really recent. It's like 2017, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. So after, he, after he passed. It's, it's all oral history. This guy oh. interviewed uh, almost 200 different people who were in some way related to Bowie, like, you know. I mean, down some of them are like, I mean, there's big things, you know, like members of his band that, you know, his first wife. He couldn't get a couple of big people. Like, Iman wouldn't, wouldn't you know, would do an interview with him. Good for her. He took some old interviews, like, that he found other places. He had interviewed Bowie a few couple, few times through the years. I mean, it went down to, like, you know, his old neighbors growing up and stuff. Like, he just went everywhere to get the stuff. And it's just, all it is is this really nicely edited collection of these little quotes from different people. All, like, oral history style. And so it's great, and I just, you know, I only started reading it, I don't know, last week or something. But I'm like four chapters in it, so I've already covered 1970 yeah. in my reading. And great. it's just been, like, really interesting to get the flavor and the color of this period. So, nice one, Dylan Jones. So nice what, name also. What color, what color is this period, then? You said you got the color of it. What, oh, what Jake, color is it? Jake, come on. <laughs> you can it, do better. Is it you a can do better. spectrum? Is it, no. like, polka dots? You can do, polka you can do better, Jake. So, but I won't. Let's talk 1970. Let's do it. To so talk about 1970, first we have to cover the tail end of 1969. Of course. Actually, which we've already done. Did we have? Oh, hey, I have. And wait, wait, before you get started. 
I just wanted to say, um, I realize, and I'll have to ask you because you're the expert on these things. Is this the first time that we've strung together three consecutive years in our podcast? Yeah. It is. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah, what I thought. we did 69 and we did 71. Now we're doing 70. This will be our longest, you know, in a row. We're tying the whole this. thing yeah. together. I mean, we only started doing, like, consecutive years recently. Within the last, like, three or four episodes, we've had any consecutive years. Yeah, interesting. So, there you go. All right. Okay, there it is. Let's do this. So, 1969 is, of course, the year of a little number by the name of Space Oddity. Never heard of it. Okay. Uh, Space Oddity was a solid hit. His boy's first hit after already working, you know, trying to get a career off the ground for six, seven years. Uh, and then the album, like, did okay, but things just kind of, he was just so poised to be a one-hit wonder. Yeah, he was there. And he, was, he really didn't, he like, get there again until Ziggy Mania, until Ziggy in 1972. In spite of the fact that he had, you know, Man of Soul of the World in 1970 and Hunky Dory in 1971, those albums Ooh. didn't do anything at the oh, time, man, or very, are, very little. Those are good ones, though. And there we are, and Hunky Dory in particular is, yes. you know, Even I know one that. of his very best albums, and one of the best albums of the 70s. Bar, you know, almost everyone would put that in the top 50, top 100. Full like, stop. Almost everybody. For sure. So, um... He's just still in this period, which he had been for years, where he just doesn't know who the heck he is. Where he's, he's just trying everything, just going around like just he knows he wants to be famous, probably in music, but not necessarily. He's just trying so much crazy junk. Um, he's got this arts lab going, where it's mm. a bunch of like cool dudes hanging out yeah. and just you know they're doing happenings. Uh, but <laughs> yes. like you read this all over the place, and I can totally see this happening. Is it starts out these big ideas, these people all like presenting their own, you know, creative expressions. This, this sounds like me trying to do stuff in college. Oh yeah, I, I totally, it sounds very collegiate. college type thing. Very collegiate. Uh, which is about the age Bowie is. You know, he's like he's twenty two at the time. You know, being to determine twenty three at the beginning of nineteen seventy. And everyone's going to express you. And they have this. They have this venue. It's this pub in wherever, I can't remember the name of the town, like a, a suburb of uh, London. Yeah. And, you know, and everyone's going to do their stuff, and then it just ended up being like two or three people doing everything. Anyway, Bowie was one of those two or three people doing everything. Makes but sense. But he did these shows, and he's still in this folk period, everything, all that's going on here, and he just doesn't know where he's going. So there's some big things that happened in 1972 kind of turn him into his way into what's going to happen. Okay. And, Jake, I want to start... By talking about one of the most momentous dates in Bowie's entire life. Jacob Dylan's and, birthday. And nay, nay, I say the entire history of rock oh, music. Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> I am. I know you will agree 100% on this. I probably won't. Go ahead. No, you will, Jake. Oh, I, I will. I promise you that you will. All right. You really will. I'm not joking on this one. Nick I'm not, Ronson? like, baiting you. You actually will. On February 3rd, He met Nick Ronson. A sweet, sweet angel <laughs> stepped down from heaven with the goal of bringing heaven to earth. He made his way to David Bowie with nothing but an electric guitar and a backpack full of the tastiest licks imaginable. Oh, man. Tasty. <laughs> That's right. On February 3rd, 1970, he met Nick Ronson. Nick Ronson came into Bowie's life. I'm giving a... I'm not standing up, but this is an ovation. Oh, man. Woo! I'm standing up in my heart oh, right now. Who isn't? Uh, two days later, they did their first performance together. Oh, they did man. a BBC session. They were... So we actually have, like, that... That session is been has been recorded of Nick Ronson's first time playing with Bowie. Practically married by that point. Apparently, Ronson did not know the songs and just kind of like made it up as he went. He, just, he says he just uh, 
this is again out of that the book I was telling you about. He uh, he was just watching Bowie play and just kind of like making it up as he went. <laughs> he was like, uh, so, let me let me reach into my backpack and grab some tasty <laughs> licks. <laughs> Take out some tasty licks. They weren't that tasty yet. It was still pretty acoustic. But, oh you know, man, still. Come on, man. So this is one of those big things that happened. It just kind of like blew things, you know. Because then he was with them for the next, well, about four years to the end yeah. of '74. Or somewhere and then in '74, dropped him, well, dropped him like anyway. a bad habit. Well, I know. When I mean, he was clearly a good habit, he was a good <laughs> like habit. clearly the best habit. Which one, so, one might say, Ronson became the cornerstone of Bowie's next band because he was still like starting bands and stuff. The band was called Hype. Mm. Not not the hype, as sometimes stated, just Please. hype. And it's suddenly a recursor to the Spiders from Mars. Um, Tony Visconti was on bass. And Tony Visconti is a longtime producer of Bowie. Yes. Like, produced his last album. He you know, produced lots of his albums. And had produced uh, the Space Oddity album. TV, uh, we call him. TV, that's right. Nobody calls him that. No, I do. TV. So they were hype, and they were uh, they made some headlines that nobody cared about by dressing as superheroes on stage. <laughs> Which one was David Bowie? Were they made up superheroes? Bowie was Rainbow Man. What is Rainbow made Man? Up. Oh yeah, they were totally made up. Oh okay, gotcha. Bowie was Rainbow Man. They workshopped that uh, at the old. I, I don't uh, know what Ranson was. I don't remember what Ranson was. Tony Visconti was Hype Man. Hype Man. And there was an amusing anecdote. Apparently, uh, Tony Visconti's clothes got stolen out of the dressing room during one of their shows, so as, he had to wear his Hype Man costume. As they want to do. <laughs> <laughs> and then he got. TV. And then he got punched in the face a couple times. Well, apparently, yeah. I did find some footage, like some really brief footage of them in these costumes. It's pretty hilarious. It's oh, mostly just is. looking at Tony Visconti, so <laughs> somebody liked him, apparently. Oh, oh TV. Oh, baby. Anyway, as the years would go, you know, the months would go on here, uh, the drummer, who was his name? I don't remember. The drummer. John Cambridge. And Tony Visconti would both end up being replaced by members of Ronson's old band, the Rats. Oh, Mick brings in his fellas. He brought in his fellas. All right, Mick. Power play. Woodsmanly. Mick, another Mick. There are two Micks in the Spiders. Well, of course there were. I mean, there's Mick number one. And then maybe like Mick number five or something. Like in, show. I mean, Mick number two is clearly Mick Jagger. Yeah, it has to Mick be. Mick number three is Mick Rock. We don't like, well, yeah, he might even be Mick number two in my heart. <laughs> his name is Mick Rock, which he came up with there, and Mick Rock is his real name. Yeah, that's crazy. I want to confirm this. I okay. thought it was, but it is. I can confirm that it he's, is his real name. He's number two as of now, in my heart. <laughs> All right, Mick Jagger was the other three. Jagger can go. And then uh, Mick Wimbley, who more often went as Woody. Woody. At least that's how he's credited to more often. Sure. He could be number four. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Sure. Got that. I'm glad we got that out. All the other mix in the in in the world are tied in for number five. Are all tied, tied for, for number five. Fifth, yep. As a right now. There it is. I mean, they're all great. All of the mix are great. Thank you, mix. All hey, if there's any mix listening, why don't you dial us up? <laughs> Hit us up. <laughs> you just you just get sent us an email. Yeah, just send us an email. Hey, name. Mick. Let us know what your first name is and if you were in any rock groups in the early 70s, like yeah. 60s or early 70s. And even if not, if your name is Mick, you're welcome here. <laughs> we love you. We and love you, Mick. we want to support you in any way we can. Hey, Mick, we love you. <laughs> uh, next big thing. So he's got, you know, as of February, he's got uh, Mick Ronson. Under his wing. They're yeah. just, you know, palling up. Which is all you need. That's it. That's, That's all. That's all you need. Uh, another big thing happened in March was that Bowie got married to his first wife. Oh, I heard that went really well for a while. 
What's that? I heard that went really well, eventually. The marriage. Well, I mean, when they got divorced, things were better. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, this that's is, dark. I don't know. That's Their dark. name is Angie. Uh, they got married in March 20th. Angie, it's, they had been, like, together for a little while, for some months or something. Okay. Uh, the thing about their marriage is, and it's not super clear, but this seems to be, Angie is American. Okay. It seems like it was kind of a green card marriage. Oh, a green card marriage. But sort of on both sides, because she had a work permit. And, some, and I don't know how this crazy, you know, piece of stuff works, especially like, in like, you know, the early 70s. Right. But she wanted to, you know, stay there. But Bowie also wanted to be able to get a work permit for the United States to, like, play concerts in the United States. He had done, like, one, like, little publicity tour in 69, I'm pretty in, sure. In Boston? In America, but he couldn't he couldn't play because he didn't have a work permit. Oh. So he'd just, like, meet up with, you know, <laughs> meet up with reporters and stuff and talk about himself. They'd play the records, but he couldn't Here I am, play. I'm David Bowie, this is me. Because he didn't have that. So it seems like it was kind of a both-way thing, like... Okay. Uh, they are notably having the most open relationship ever, as far as I can tell. Number one. There's, like, stories in this book, again, about, like, groupies talking about, you know, having some, having, having a time with Bowie, while, like, <laughs> yeah. they could hear Angie having a time with the bodyguard yeah. next, like, next let's, door. Let's just, no, let's, yeah, let's kick this out. Yeah, they were having threesomes and four, I don't know what's no, going on. Like, don't Bowie care. just was having so much of a time he was just in the early 70s. It. Multiple people described him as an, an addict, and that, for whatever I may have heard, it sounds oh. right. Well, that's cheery. So things went horribly wrong with Angie later on. Yep. Uh, there, they had a son in 1971. Oof. Duncan, Should, Duncan Jones. Shouldn't have done that. Who is a a respected uh, director today? Okay. And it well, sounds like it sounds like Bowie and Angie were like the worst parents ever for mm-hmm. the first several years of his life. Like, just I don't know how you couldn't be as many drugs and people as they were uh, involved in. Well, it sounds like, like I. It sounds yeah, like I a drug and sex den is the perfect place to raise a baby. <laughs> to raise a baby. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for personal experience. You know that, <laughs> yeah, right? I know that. I've raised <laughs> three of them. three magnificent children, man. Absolutely. And they're, over there. they're fine. I'm pretty sure they're fine. So what it seems to happen, though, is in later years, Bowie, especially after Bowie cleaned up from cocaine, yeah. like 76, 77, is Bowie made, especially into the 80s, made a much more considered effort to be a good father and, like, made up for past mistakes. And he was... And it sounds like Angie didn't necessarily. Oh. And so I, I don't know the whole story, and I don't want to get too much, you know, of this soap opera, you know, and I don't... Well, you're already, I, you're apparently, already apparently Duncan does not t- talk to Angie, and he hasn't for years. Oh. That's sad, though. Which is kind of sad. It's sad, yeah. Okay. Anyway, there's lots of said about Angie, mostly negative, but... um I, At the time, she was kind of good for Bowie. Bowie was still very, like, very shy. And he wasn't putting himself out there as much as he needed to, and he just needed to step up and become Ziggy. And I would say that Ronson <laughs> was one of the big parts of that, and she was one of the big parts of that, because by all indications, she was very extroverted and good at pushing Bowie. She, did. she made a lot of the early costumes. Oh, really? Um, until Bowie got, like, you know, there. But he, she made uh, at least a couple of the superhero costumes for hype. Nice. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, you know, Ziggy may or, not, may or may not have happened without her. It might not have happened without wow. her. Wow. So, well, way to go, Angie. So, you know, like, we got to give her some credit here, right? She's all good right. for his career. And, yeah. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Angie. So, all right. And then thanks. Wherever you are awful. listening but to this really, They really shouldn't have gotten married in the first place. Let's no. Yeah, yeah. Bowie's not at all, in any way, you know, like, free from blame on us. He's not prepared. So... What's it? He wasn't prepared. He couldn't do it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. 
Bye, Angie. So let's talk about <laughs> yes. what all this is leading to. I'm weaving a tale here, Jake. No uh, multiple questions today. I'm weaving a story because I've read a whole bunch about this period in the last uh-oh. week. <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> oh, so much. Buckle so up, much. everyone. Could be one. Buckle up, everybody. Charlie's so, weaving um, a tale. They were, I think I talked about this in one of the other years. At the time, Bowie and Angie were living in this, it's called Hamden Hall. It was a former mansion that, you know, was inherited by a gardener or somebody who couldn't afford to keep it up. Okay. And uh, so it was carved up into seven apartments. The Bowies lived, their apartment included the grand staircase. Mm. And the staircase went up to all these doors, but then all the doors were other people's apartments. So they didn't go anywhere. Okay, what? <laughs> this weird. is really odd. I found some pictures. It's an incredibly opulent place. It's such an odd place. But it says Leeds just feels like it was a big part of their development. So it was a big apartment, but I don't know how many, like, I don't know if there were bedrooms or anything. I can't tell, like, I don't know the layout of what they had. I just know they had the grand staircase in their chunk, and uh, it went up to nothing, because they couldn't get into any of the doors, because that was other people's apartments. Oh, wow. So they, uh, he, Bowie built a studio underneath the stairs, and that was where they kind of worked. Regularly, people would come in and go out, like, hype all lived there for a while. <laughs> The spiders from Mars at one point lived there. Like, all of them would just live there. Tony Viscotti lived there. Everybody lived there. <laughs> oh, my apparently. goodness. Okay. People were dropping in and out, visiting, no doubt having sex with everybody. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, it was crazy town. Yeah. But it sounds kind of awesome. Swing in London. So they were working. They were doing stuff. He was working with Ronson, and they ended up working on Bowie's third album, mm. which would become The Man Who Sold the World. The Man Who Sold the World. <laughs> Yeah, that's the one. That's the one, Jake. Great song. Album. Man, I know that one. That it is a great song. It is. Yeah, it is. I'm not disagreeing with you, Jake. Why are you like? Are you I was just agreeing with you about the song being great. In fact, no, Jake. The song is awesome. Okay, get off my. I dad. thought it was great. Don't. No, Jake. It's great. The song is really good. No, it's fine. It's good. It's good. It's great. Okay. It's great, Chaz. Mm. Alright, so the album is, uh, it's heavy. It's a heavy album, especially Strange with Space Oddity, which is all folky town. Oh, right before it. Sweet folky town. Freezy and Hunky Dory, which is much more piano driven, but much lighter and more, you know, and it's not folky, but you know, it's, it's more acoustic and more piano driven. Sure. And this little beast is right in the middle between them, and it's this mm. big, heavy, it's by far its heaviest album until Tin Machine, for sure. Well, well. <laughs> Tin Machine is really his only period that. I guess, yeah, it's for sure his heaviest album. It's all Tin Machine, you know, 20 years later. Everyone knows that. And it's just, yeah, it's so different. Um, It is quite good. Okay. It's really heavy. The lyrics are very heavy on, like, mental illness and craziness. Well, one big part of this, too, is Bowie's half-brother, his older half-brother, Terry, Uh was schizophrenic. Oh, I see. And was in and out of a scene of sounds at this time and also lived off and on at Head and Hall. Of course, for some did. weeks at a time. Everyone did. and everyone did. I lived there. For I was life. there. I mean, I don't yeah, remember seeing yeah, you. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember you. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I met you on the That's staircase. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. You I was sleeping so underneath the third step. <laughs> that was my. Oh, that was you. Step. Oh. <laughs> I got the third one. That was a pretty good one. That was nice. Third was nice. Third one was real sweet. You don't want the <laughs> sixth one. That one <laughs> Ouch. So, what was I saying? I don't remember. Oh, I don't know. Terry was a huge influence on Bowie just in his life. Okay. And it definitely seems to be some influence in the lyrics, which are, I don't know, it's, it's 
train to start itself. Maybe I'll uh, save some more of it for the points later. Yeah, yeah, do that. But it's a good one. Also notable was the cover. It was released in November of 1970 in the U.S., but not until April of 71 in the U.K. Oh, that's so weird. sometimes you see that it's uh, been released. You know, like it'll show up as being released in 71, yeah, but yeah, it yeah, yeah. came out in 70 in the U.S. Of course. The American cover was this kind of cartoony cover that apparently Bowie commissioned or something and that changed his mind about. Oh, I didn't the know about that. U.K. cover is the much more famous one, and it features Bowie wearing a dress. Lounging. Lounging, oh yeah. Lounging on a, like, on a chaise lounger. So yeah, and we're gonna, you know what, we're going to break tradition a little bit. I'm bringing the year in here right now. Oh, do it. Wow, because this is outrageous. Yeah, he's wearing this man's dress from a store called Mr. Fish. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know. Yep. On this, yeah, on this lounge, and it's actually, the photograph is done at Haddon Hall, and there's playing cards all over the floor, and his hair is long and luxurious. Oh, it's weird. lustrous. And lustrous, it's frequently compared all over the place to Greta Garbo and Lauren McCall. Which is compared to these It's kind of wavy. Everyone talks about everything for this period from this book and anything else I've read. Everyone talks constantly about how beautiful he is. Oh, he is. Beautiful beautiful. man. Beautiful man. It's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful, beautiful man. Stunning, really. Stunning. So, um,. His hair, I'm going to give it, it's a pretty good one. It's pretty good because <laughs> it's long and lustrous. Yeah. It's healthy almost. Shining. And hell, oh, I know. He must condition. He must. Well, I mean, amongst all the drugs and sex, he must condition his hair. Every once in a while, he'd take a little time. He'd just go in the oh, bathroom, oh. he'd wash it first, and then he'd put in Walk. some conditioner. Put in some conditioner. Yeah. Put it in there. And then Wait. rinse it out. <laughs> and then he'd rinse it right out. That's what, I, that's, that's what you that's do. That's what you do. Yeah. 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 Very lustrous. Yeah, a few days go by, he does it again. Yeah, maybe three, four days. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah sure. Once sure. before the picture, at least. <laughs> oh, If oh, not twice. Sure. If not twice. For sure. <laughs> Angie probably styled it for him. Oh, thanks, probably Angie. Really, she probably really did. Uh, so I give her that one uh, three and a half. Three and a half. Three and a half out of five. Super arbitrary. The most arbitrary of our arbitrary scales. Yeah, BVD award scale. every week. I change it all the time. I mean, yeah. it's still always like zero through five, but I don't know which is which. Or you, might, matter. you might change it yet. You might go back and re-record this and change it. You know, it's, it's I important. Might. I'm thinking you. about it. I'm considering it highly right now, Jake. Mm, I'm wondering if we should talk some more about his conditioning routine. <laughs> if that would be uh, of interest to let's people. Let's save it for the points section, Jake. Okay, I'm all right. Points for, condi- for conditioning. That's his hair. <laughs> Condition- for his long, luxurious hair. <laughs> we think he conditioned He's going to get 10 points. This is going to be his biggest year ever. I mean, he, he, he must. Just for, just he, for how shining and healthy his hair He looks. must have conditioned it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to say. I don't know how else he will have done it, you know? I mean, maybe some combing? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking if you're not as lustrous, but very long hair during your younger years. (laughs) Dylan Dylan was keeping it clean. Oh, you're talking about me? I'm talking about you. Oh, no, I never conditioned. you, Jake. I ended up with dreadlocks in my hair unintentionally, is what happened to me. (laughs) You're, you did not condition. Although no, 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 there was no conditioning. There was barely, there was barely a wash to be found. Really. <laughs> oh man, I just want the people at home to know about your hippie years. That's what I want. Ah, oh, come on, don't I just call want me. them to know about that. It's not, a, it's not hippie. Real quick. It was more like I don't know what to call it, but it happened. That's for sure. Hippie. Would you describe hippie? It as hippie? Sure, I guess so. Okay. All right, I got 
one last thing to talk about here wow. at this time. Wow. And that is something completely unrelated to my main, the narrative thrust that I was, you know, trying to develop, trying to spin this little web of a story here for you, Jake. Okay. Uh, oh, I didn't go to Man that sold the world didn't go anywhere, anywhere. Like, nobody bought it. Was Every it, who bought it liked it, but nobody bought it. Was it critically acclaimed in any way? Or oh, yeah. Not? Oh, yeah, it oh, was. Oh, it was. Okay. For All sure. Right. Well, that's for good. Sure. You got that going for you, which is nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was an underground hero, like... Yeah, he was he was he was flying. Hungry Dory really cemented it, but sure, was, sure, he just didn't break into the big time until Ziggy in seventy two, which I haven't done that year yet. That's no, that's going to be you're going to you're going to win seventy two. Just so you no, know. Well, I'm going <laughs> to win almost every year in the seventies. Blah blah blah. All right, one last thing here. Let's talk about. We talked about about Bob Bowie. Just didn't know what he was doing. He was trying all kinds of crazy stuff in his early career, and actually, really well into his mid career. But one of our favorite parts of that, Jay, what would you say was his favorite weird thing he did? It's just off the top of your head. You like? What do you What do you mean in the seventies or nineteen seventies? In the, in the late sixties. What's the? You know, I don't know. I'm asking too weird of a question. Too, this is too weird of okay. a question. I'm going to answer the question for you, Jake, Thank you. with your that's, answer. That's what, what you, I need. Would my question have been good enough to actually warrant an answer? Okay. The answer is <laughs> his mime career. Oh, I was going to say mime. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. I but, was almost there. But my your question, question, your question was so obtuse that I didn't even get it. I blame my question. <laughs> I, I'm, already, I'm already taking all the blame for my question, Your question okay. stinks. Anyway, blah, 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 mime career. <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Let's, Let's talk et cetera, about some et cetera. His mind curve. Let's yada, talk yada, yada. about his mind curve a little more because it came back a little bit. In wow, a return oh, of yeah. the mind career. So, Bowie's former teacher, or mind teacher slash lover, <laughs> Lindsay Camp, who was a man. I just feel like we need to know that because yeah, sure. Of Bowie this period. Sure. Uh, was doing his old like Bowie's part of this his old show called Perot in Turquoise. Uh-huh. Perot being from uh, Italian. Commedia dell'art, along with Colum. He's always pining after Columbine. I don't know the whole thing. Okay. I know parts of it for my my theater history classes in college. It's going a long way back. But uh, it's called Perot and Turquoise, or The Looking Glass Mirrors. Now, somehow, this is like a sign of the times, though, too. Somehow, Lindsay Cap got this thing made for TV. Whoa. And I found about a third of it online. It's weird. Like, how did this <laughs> thing ever get on like, mainstream uh-huh. TV? I don't know. Well, TV um, was so a different it's animal. it's a mime show with Kemp starring as Poirot, which Bowie likes to identify with that character later on and dressed as him for the, uh, in the uh, Scary Monsters era, most oh, notably sure. in the Ashes to Ashes music video. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that, Jake, clearly. Yeah. Anyway, Bowie was already like doing a uh, tour or something up in the area where they were going to film this, and so uh, Lindsay Kemp got a hold of their people and hired Bowie to play his old role in the show for the actual production. So Bowie plays a character named Cloud, who I can't tell what on earth he's supposed to be doing, no clue, but he sits on the top of the ladder through all, all the time. Yep, he's a cloud. I don't know. He's a, so cloud. he's a cloud, he's up there. He's, yeah, he's in, the, he's in the sky. That's what clouds do. More noisily, Bowie wrote three new songs for the show. Ooh, was one called Cloud? Never... What's that? Was one called Cloud? No, surprisingly oh. not, no. What were they called? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You, they were you never paused. released. They were never formally released. Uh, okay, let me think. One of them was called Columbine. One okay. of them was called uh, The Mirror. Yes. And one of them was called Tuffany Pirro. Yep. 
Sure. Yeah, there you go. None of them are named the club. And uh, it's strange. And made. I don't know if the clip I found was actually in order or not. Like, I found multiple clips. So I don't know where they all from. Yeah. But it made no sense. Okay. <laughs> it would not but, have if they uh, were in order. I'm one sure. of the songs, anyway, was was an earlier song by Bowie with different lyrics. So I don't know if you credit that as a new one. But, you know, it's still wow. was interesting. Everything. It wasn't released on home media until 2005. So maybe we'll prove points that it's not going to get any points. I don't <laughs> know. Just it was just an interesting little anecdote. Spoiler alert for 2005, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever we get to that little... You don't have to listen to that here. episode now. <laughs> He's not going to get any points. <laughs> Bummer. Heroic turquoise oh, or... Oh, man. I was really hopeful. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm just going to turn things over to you. I feel like I should have a good <laughs> button or something to this, but I don't. Yeah, I was spinning a web, spinning a tail. A tail that 1970. A tail that ended in miming. That ended in miming as as, <laughs> as all tales so must do. So much as, as all good tales. You must. know what? You know what really translates <laughs> to podcasts? Live miming. Live miming. Think about and it. You know what? I got a, re- a real treat for you, here, Jake. Yeah. It's funny you should mention that. Yeah. Because for the next twelve minutes, yep. I've got a special mime. <laughs> Oh, you're gonna do performance. Are you gonna do? do... I'm gonna perform some of Bowie's best mime performances. Oh, I love it when you do this. I love it. Unaccompanied by music. I love it, guys. Focus on the performance, guys. uh, Podcast listeners, you're in for a real treat. All right, here we go. This is good. Okay, set your timers. Twelve minutes. Oh, sorry, I fell right there. I oh, no. Oh, okay, all right. Oh, you know we better, you know what? We better just move we'll on. We'll try it later. We'll try it. I can't. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. We're better. No, it's, you know what? It's okay. So hey, much hey, Chess. It's okay. Oh, th- thanks, Jake. It's thanks. all right. It's all right. Thanks. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix it. I'm going to make it better. I'm going to get us back on track here with okay, just a, right. an absolute, an absolute thick and meaty bula base. From Bob Dylan's 1970. <laughs> oh, it's been this? at least an episode since he oh, and I, I mean, at least I got a big injection of Ronson into this early episode. That's so good. We got Ronson and Blue Bays in the same episode. Oh, it's just a, we're just we're flying. This we're is one. Flying. Of, this is one of Bob Dylan's greatest, you know, stew years. We call them. <laughs> like it's not all. Do, do we? It's not. It's. I just. I just did. It's not. It's not all. It's not all good. But that's what makes but we it interesting. Both of us, Jake. I don't know if I'm ready to commit to that. Uh, Stewier. That collective. That collective pronoun. No, the the we and using the the term Stewier. Well, we are going to shut up and listen about Bob Dylan. <laughs> I'm going to be over here practicing my mind routine for a little while. Well, you know, you I mean, b- besides the incredible concentration that takes, I think you can listen to what I have to say. Okay, I'll do my best. Okay, so I'm just going to kind of go through a list of things he did and explain them as they went. I too do not have any multiple choice questions. Because Man. it's just a narrative. I mean, we're talking 60s, 70s, you know? This is like narrative There's town. There's so much to pack in. There's no it's, time for, for it's packed. multiple choice questions. It's packed. So like you, I'm going to go back to late 1969 when Bob Dylan had moved his family, who are now a full five children plus. Including plus, Jacob Dylan. Including Jacob Dylan, who had just been born. They moved to back to New York was City. Already, was already writing pop hits. Yeah. On, he, on uh, he was a number one best-selling baby artist. Uh, Bob Dylan uh, we talked about this in 1969 a little bit Uh, he incorrectly assumed that 
by moving back to New York City, he would, uh, in Greenwich Village in particular, he would sort of reclaim some magic or reclaim, you know, that feeling he had when he first went there. Um, but instead, he was just inundated by crazy, crazy, crazy people and fans. <laughs> Why did you think, like, there were already people, like, coming to his, you know, rural home in Woodstock yes. and, like, having sex in his bed? Why did you think yeah. this would be better in... Inside I don't of know. America's I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe he thought he could Just be. By its nature, there's gonna be more crazy people there. You know, maybe they're yeah. willing to drive up to Woodstock, but yeah, but probably it's... willing to like go, you know, two miles on the, the subway train to do something crazy at his house. But it's New York City. I probably would. You it's know? New York City. There's more like famous people there than there are normal people, practically. <laughs> are there? No, but. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe he thought he could blend in. You know, he could get he could get okay. back to a community. He was all. Did he did he uh, walk around with a Greek newspaper to throw everyone off the scent? Like no, Bobby? no. But unfortunately, he had no disguises planned, which is how everyone found him. I guess <laughs> he's a very distinctive looking man, mm-hmm. and everyone was looking for him. Um, to wit, uh, he should have shaved the fro. That guy would look crazy. Oh. Did he ever shave the fro? Did he ever go like? Gosh. No, I don't think he did. Not completely. Not completely. I'm definitely curious now. Definitely not buzz cut. I think he'd be the world's ugliest man with a buzz cut. (laughs) I want somebody. One of our fans. One of the mixed out there. If any of you guys are good at Photoshop, yeah. Could you Photoshop me up a picture of Dylan with a shaved head? Because that'd be awesome. That is something I would rather not see. Person who is not going to do that. My birthday's in November. You have until then to get this done. Yes, he didn't get a golden birthday present when he would turn 19, so now he wants this, apparently. <laughs> this will make him happy. I would also accept Christmas, which is only a month after my birthday, so it's okay. All right, I want to contend with our uh, with our, our mutual friend. I think we could both call him our friend. Oh, uh, if his name is Mick, he's, he's both of our friends. He's not. Sure. This is our rotund friend, rotund friend named Andrew Weberman. Oh, never uh, This was the first year that Weberman followed Dylan to New York and started... Um, uh, harassing him, I think is what it is. Uh-huh. And we talked about him in 1971. But I, I just say he sounds familiar. Yes, he's very familiar. He bothered Dylan for a good, you know, two and a half years. Was kind of like part of his narrative. And uh, for the purposes of this podcast, I just want to kind of close the book on Weberman in 1970. Uh-huh. I think he might have been around in 72 as well, and I'll mention that if if he's finally gone. But I just want to point out here on this podcast uh, that I may not have communicated last time just what an absolute jerk this dude was like he was kind yeah, of it's kind of kind unfortunate of, that he's become part of one's official character yeah know? it's kind of what he wanted he 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 like harassed him <laughs> for like years and uh-huh. um and to illustrate this i i'm going to give you a little a little performance here so on okay, right. this actually occurred in 1971 yeah, but it's quite the uh, performance show here yeah we're Mimes, yeah. Now this, that's great. I'm not sure I can top your mime routine, but I'll try. With words. <laughs> so, uh, this actually happened in 1971, but it, it fully illustrates the, the pain in the neck that he had become for, for Dylan. And this will just kind of be our last story about Andrew Weberman. Okay. On Dylan's birthday in 1971, which I believe is like May 23rd, uh, Weberman showed up to his house and had a, quote, anti-birthday party outside his house. Dylan, fortunately, was not there. He was on vacation with his family, far, far away. But Weberman did not know that. And so he brought a megaphone, and he got a whole bunch of people to come with him, and they were going to throw an anti-birthday party, complete with a birthday cake with candles that looked like hypodermic needles. What? Yes. (laughs) Okay, he had a megaphone, and here's what he said. I'm going to talk in megaphone. I'm going to sound like you on this podcast for a second, by virtue of you coming through the phone. Okay. 
You see? Dylan doesn't care about people anymore. He's sold out. He's ripped you off. Right now, I'm trying to approach him as another human being. I have to try to get him interested in life again. But if he doesn't shape up fast, I'm going to read the right act to him. And which point, like, a bunch of people, a bunch of people cheered. He's a jerk. He's, exactly. Yeah. What a jerk, right? Uh, you so, know that Bob Dylan was a human being, right? Yeah, they, no. Like, well, he's, he's trying to approach him as a human being. That, okay. He knows that. So this, this is the best part. He's of this. a human being who has to do exactly what he wants of him. Yeah, but which nobody knows what that was. This is the guy, obviously, that was digging through his garbage, and Dylan was leaving baby poop in there for him to find, and, <laughs> and all kinds I mean, of stuff. That one, I mean, this is really well this is really, biz- this and really Jacob bizarre. Jacob Dylan, we know you did your part on this one. Jacob okay. Dylan, thank you for your poop. <laughs> thank you for your contribution. Your contribution was meaningful. <laughs> it is now part of the historical record. Thank it you for your poop. It was a meaningful abyss. Uh, are you better known for your poop or for your career as a musician? Hard to say. Hard to Depends say. On how, on how far this podcast episode goes. I mean, what? <laughs> Straight to the top, I can only assume. Wherever the top may be. The top is Jacob Dylan. The top is way up there where Jacob Dylan lives, like that cloud in your plate. Okay. So, uh, the best part of this story is that one of Dylan's friends or supporters or whoever from the village, um, <clears throat> upon seeing this anti birthday party, decided to put up a whole bunch of anonymous handbills and say that there was going to be a party at Andrew Weberman's house that night. <laughs> so a whole, a whole bunch of people showed up to Andrew Weberman's house to sort of like wage war on him being such a jerk. And uh, get this, Chaz, he was annoyed by the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Shocking. 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 Yeah, because when that happens to somebody, they're always annoyed. Why would that uh-huh. be a thing you do? <laughs> anyway, this, his, last, his quote on this was awesome. He said, I was told there would be retaliation for this party. So, there was a conspiracy against his stupid party. Gosh, this guy. And he was like uh, we're getting... Right now. Oh, man. I don't know. I don't know. So, let's move on. That, that's, that's our last... Okay. That's our parting shot. What, a, what an idiot. Uh, uh, point, point number three for Dylan's year, he had writer's block. This was the a kind of continuation of his Nashville skyline period, where he was he was struggling to come up with really good material. To wit, Chaz, we're going to, to move wit. to wit. We are going to move into one of Dylan's most famous albums, but also one of his most famous bad albums, confounding albums. I have a question for you, Chaz. All right, you told me ahead of time you were thinking about like giving it points twice. Yes, <laughs> like good points and bad points. Exactly, at the same time. it's a confounding piece of work. Is what I want okay, to say. Okay, well. And um, let me just ask you a quick question here. Let's say the year, picture yourself in the year 2013. Yeah, and uh, you're, you're Bob Dylan. You release a box set. It's called Another Self Portrait. <laughs> now, uh-huh. if you, it, this clearly references something. Um, it's an album that you released in 1970. Uh, what, what do you think you would call that album if the second one was called Another Self Portrait? Well, I think the first one would have to be like. First self-portrait. First self. That's a great Beginning guess. Proto self-portrait. I, Beginner you know, self-portrait. I myself, like I myself went with initial portrait. Initial, initial portrait. Uh huh. But no, no, it's not that chess. Uh, it's actually called self-portrait. 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 The 1970 double LP with 24 songs on it. Woo! Uh, we're going to do a very special Bad Bob Dylan album matrix in the points section. We won't do that now. I'll just describe what the album was kind of about. Um, it, 
It was called, uh, quote, a descent into parody. Bob Dylan apparently uh, ended up revealing that he did this on purpose. He made a bad album on purpose. And here's what, he, here's what he said about it. He said, I didn't like the attention I was getting, and at the time I was getting the wrong kind of attention for doing things I'd never done. So we released the album to get people off my back. They would not like me anymore. That's the reason that album was put out, so people would just at that time stop buying my records, and they did. And he said, well, F it. I wish these people would just forget about me. I want to do something they couldn't possibly like that they can't relate to. It was a joke. But wow. at the time that it came out, which was in, uh, June 8th, 1970, it was, not ta- <laughs> it was not taken as a joke. It Wait, was- June 8th? Yeah, June 8th. Oh, never mind. Oh, too never mind. We almost, we almost had a humdinger there, but we didn't. Well, almost. Okay. Uh, it was not taken as a joke. It was not taken as a parody. It was not taken as anything funny at all by critics and fans alike. It was taken as an absolute affront to their sensibilities. <laughs> uh, well, sure. <laughs> now, Chaz, this will be the only time that we ever do this, and I apologize for our young children listeners, but I'm going to, I'm going to do a, a mild swear on this podcast. Okay. And it's only okay. because... Greel Marcus wrote a review of Self-Portrait, which has the most famous opening line of a rock critique ever written. It goes like this. He says, what is this shit? That was the opener to to the thing. And then he went on a a very long diatribe about how assaultive it was to his ears, and it didn't make any Uh sense, and how awful it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dylan later um, called his review, Greel Marcus's review, a piece of shit. So there was a little bit of, <laughs> little bit of. There's just a lot of the, a lot of poop flying around. <laughs> There's a lot of poop. Not not just in Dylan's trash cans. No. Um, so I was under the impression a while back that somehow Self Portrait had sold really really well despite all of this, and it did. Uh-huh. It did debut at number four in the U.S. and number yeah, three okay. in the U.K. But right. that. But that you know, no, it, this isn't Spotify. You can't hear the songs before you buy it. Right. So people were expecting something, and then it did end up going gold, which isn't a lot for that time period for a famous artist. Right. Um, but basically, Dylan did it on purpose. He went in the toilet. He tried to get people off of his scent. But then, Chaz. <laughs> but then, number five. He tried to become involved in a play. There's a lot of plays in this episode as well. Sure, sure. A yep. theatric or a, a, a play version of The Devil and Daniel Webster. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, I have. Okay, it's by the poet Archibald McLeish. Uh, <clears throat> good old Archie, we call him. Yeah, yeah, sure. Archie. Yep. Archie, he... Uh, Archibald, wait, what did you say? Archibald Leach? Archibald McLeish. Oh, McLeish, because Archibald Leach is uh, Cary Grant's real name. No. Okay, whoa, all right, no, that's not it. I was also just thinking of Robin Leach when you said that just now. Like the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Let me double check this, yeah. Cary Grant, real name, Archibald Alec Leach. Wow, okay. Which is one of the most disgusting names ever. That is a disgusting name. I'm glad he went with Cary Grant, that's better. Yeah, probably helped him out. Yeah, uh, so, so. so the good old Archie commissioned Dylan to write three songs for the play, and they were going to, you know, these were going to be three original songs. There was one song that they couldn't agree on called Father of Night, which I understand because Father of Night is a terrible song. <laughs> um, but Dylan, Dylan backed out of the production and instead decided to put those three songs on his next album, which also occurred in 1970, Chaz. Okay. This album was called New Morning. 
It came out on October 19th. 1970 debuted at number double album year yeah double album year uh number seven in the u.s number four in the uk everybody who hated dylan before decided that this was the second coming of dylan so dylan (laughs) because it was much better and it was much more cohesive Uh and it had songs on it that were actually good uh so dylan's time in purgatory in critical purgatory was like six months an incredible an incredible four months If this was really your intention here, was to get people off your set, yeah. you shouldn't release a good album like four months later. You should have held on to that. Well, here's the thing. So he released. I, I think. I think his intention with releasing Self Portrait was not clearly communicated, because yeah. I think he was just going to like stick that out there. I mean, obviously he said some nasty things about it later, but at the time it yeah. seems like kind of an odds and sods thing. Like here you go, right. you know, this isn't an important statement or anything, but everyone thought all of Dylan's albums were to be important statements. Sure. sure. Um, and he had actually recorded most of new morning before he put out self portrait. And so okay. at the time in that four month interval, it made it seem like he, uh, was uh, hurt by all the criticism of self portrait. And so he decided to actually put out something good to silence his critics when in uh-huh. fact, you know, as usual, he wasn't, he didn't care about any of that. He was just doing, he was just <laughs> doing whatever he wanted to do. Which is what he always did and still does. Yes, exactly. Now, this was only becoming clear back then that he was just going to do whatever he wanted. He was just farting around. He was just farting around with his career, which went well no matter what he did <laughs> at that point. All right, uh, I got a serious question here. Okay, hit me. Uh, coming off of Nashville Skyline from 1969. Yes. How much ridiculous crooning is there on these two albums? Okay, well, I'm going to get to that. There is no crooning on New Morning. It's a croon-free okay. zone. Croon-free. Okay. It's a croon-free right. zone. Now, there is some very, very, very funny and very out-there crooning on Self-Portrait. <laughs> but that's only because it's an outtakes album from that entire period. It's basically sure, a bunch of sure. like mess-around outtakes. It's covers. Sure. Um, I can't wait to get to the album Matrix when we get to I that. can't wait, I mean, I can't wait for you to talk about another self-portrait. If that was like the outtakes <laughs> from the outtakes album, I know. it's got to be pure gold. Well, an interesting thing about self-portrait is it seems that a lot of it is bad on purpose. Like, because okay. some of the outtakes, at least the remastered versions from another self-portrait, are wonderful. <laughs> they sound amazing. <laughs> I should know that. Dylan is a classic at... Releasing yeah. the bad stuff. And exactly. the good stuff close to his heart until it blew like serious decades later. Yeah, in which he can't re record or mess around with it anymore. It just gets it just gets wonderfully remastered and put out. Uh-huh. You know. And he probably doesn't even know what's happening. Yeah. So uh, hey, prior to hey Bob, we found another crate full of your old uh, recordings. He's Can like, we release it? He's like, I'm Bob Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and they're like, yeah, yeah, you're Bob. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Hey, yeah, 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 hey, why don't yeah. you go on a tour a little bit this year? <laughs> Haven't done that in a while, huh? <laughs> uh, I don't think Bob's senile. I think we're slandering him right now. <laughs> it's terrible. He's an, Ameri- mm. He's an American mm. legend. <laughs> All right. New Morning was uh, described as serene and hopeful. There were a lot of up-tempo, quote, happy songs on it. <laughs> what? Well, that's such a strong question mark to it. Happy? Well, nobody wanted Dylan to be happy at the time. <laughs> but I guess they were happy oh. that he was happy following self-portrait. Uh, there's a lot of earnestness well, on it. There's a lot of, like, kind of truthful things. It was described by uh, Al Cooper, 
who um, his not Alice Cooper, not Alice Cooper, uh, Al Cooper, his one of his sidemen, uh, organ player, among many other things. Um, he said that it was just kind of a collection of things that were happening to him at the time. So he was just kind of ah, working through his writer blocks by by doing that. Um, it uh, like one of the songs. Let's see, "Sign on the Window." Includes the lyric, build me a cabin in Utah, marry me a wife, catch rainbow trout, have a bunch of kids who call me paw. That must be what it's all about. Oh, Bob. And it's a great song. Oh, you know? I know. You old yeah. You, you, it would be like four years before. I can't stay mad at you. It would be about four years before his marriage descended into absolute H and everything went went sideways and but for now having, having an affair with African American backup singers yeah that was more that was more in the 80s we're talking we're talking, the 80s, we're talking okay. CBS executives in the 70s that's more that's okay. more his more his style <laughs> then oh Bob yeah good old can't, Bob can't say not mad but mad at you so here's an interesting this is just obviously this would be a hindsight thing about the album um, but since yeah. it was kind of hopeful um People wondered if it was a if it was kind of a signal or to qualify the beginning of a more hopeful 1970s when it came out because uh, by '69 we had Altamont and the Rolling Stones and everybody was dying and everyone got shot. Um, so you know it was this kind of a portend and I don't know if the '70s ended up being a sunny decade or not. Uh, little did they know the '70s belonged to a young gun by the name of David Bowie. Yeah, so. gun. yeah. Uh, I hate David Bowie. That's not true at all. New Morning was called his best album, Bob Dylan's, not David Bowie's, since Blonde on Blonde, which was every album until uh, Blood on the Tracks, and now since then, every album since Blood on the Tracks is his best album since Blood on the Tracks. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So let's see. What else do we got here? Oh, here's a funny thing. Any mining? I mean, asking for a friend. Any what? Any mining. There is no miming that I'm aware of. Okay. All right, all right. I mean, Although, all right, all right. I mean, it, okay, a, okay, okay, okay. If a mime mimes in the forest Did and no one's there to hear him... condition his hair? I doubt it. Talk about that? I doubt it. Although, his hair was not as outrageous and uh, frizzy as it was. He kind of, like, like I good. said in 69, his, you know, his country life was he kind of slicked it back a little bit, you know? Maybe washed, yeah, maybe sure. washed it sure. some, sometimes. Sometimes. Um, sometimes he used a comb and he combed it through the hair backwards. <laughs> Like, away from his forehead, (laughs) is what I'm thinking. Which, by the way, is what Bowie's hair looked like in that miming video. They totally backcombed that thing into a giant frizzy mess. It could have been Bob Dylan. Maybe it was. (laughs) Bob Dylan was actually clowned. Maybe the connection we've been looking for all this time is miming. (laughs) Was Perot and Turquoise, or the late bus murders. (laughs) A low-budget TV... Scottish TV half-hour program that was not released on home video on home media until 2005. They were kind of they're kind of both in plays in 1970. At least we could say that. <laughs> okay, uh, he did a recording session with George Harrison. Um, it, cool, cool. Before New Morning, they worked on a song called "If Not for You," which uh, is the lead song off of New Morning. It's a wonderful song, uh, but also George Harrison recorded it for his double, well, no, triple album, "All Things triple. Must Pass." Which is uh, by far the greatest Beatle solo recording album that came that out. John Lennon. That came out in the same year. Oh yeah, take that, John Lennon. <laughs> I mean, he's the only one that's got any like, you know, it claims could, to. It could to be it. Plastic Ono Band would be a claim. Uh, 
Maybe, maybe imagine. Maybe imagine. Imagine. Maybe. Maybe. But I, all things must pass is much better than either of those. Also, I would say everything by Ringo Starr. Whoa! Are well, you bringing in some? Ringo? Trying, you're, are you bringing Ringo to this party? <laughs> you're bringing Ringo in here? <laughs> it is all star band. <laughs> that's such. <laughs> that's such a hipster take. I can't even take it. That and the most overblown love songs ever heard by Paul McCartney. Also, all of those... He's got like the top 25 slots on the most overblown love songs. Also, all of those Paul McCartney albums that I've never heard of that keep getting deluxe reissues. Those are the <laughs> yeah, best. that's true. Those, those are all the coming. best. <laughs> this keep coming. I've never heard of any of them. Any of them. No. No, and I keep reading that like there was gigantic hits on them, and then I go to YouTube and listen, and I'm like, oh, this is awful. I've never heard this before, and I never will again. <laughs> I you tried harder than I did, and then Paul, I, didn't try. I went like, "Oh, I've never heard of that." And well, I, I just I started to get mystified. I mean, Paul Paul is a whole, you know, he's a whole like philosophical discussion. I'm pretty sure, which we don't need to have. <laughs> we'll, right have to now. Save, we'll have to save another episode just for Paul. McCurry. Just for Paul and how confounding he is. All right, he's he's the self portrait of Beatles. Let's just go with that. <laughs> mm. Mm. The dreamiest though. Well, yeah, he is the dreamiest. He was definitely the one that our mother had a crush on. Yeah, well, everyone's everyone's mom from that generation had a crush on on Paul. One of the four. Everyone, oh, Paul. It was you know, it went around a little bit. Yeah, there was, a, was there was the him. smart. Was one. There was the smart one, and there was the kooky one. Funny one. There was the. And there was, uh, and there was Ringo. There was the uh, the dumb one. Just <laughs> <laughs> Jake, were you in the Beatles? <laughs> <laughs> Like a shock jog radio morning show, there'd be all kinds of creepy sound effects yes. going. <laughs> uh, oh man. Yep. <laughs> and we'd have like fart noises piped in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dumb! Yeah! <laughs> I think you and I would be, oh, we'd be, right, the, going, we'd be the worst shock jocks in human history, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> There would be a total lack of shocking. We'd be like, hey, how are you this morning? Oh, I'm good. <laughs> hey, it's good to see you. Hey, nice. Hey, good to be yeah, in the like, same room with hey, you. Hey, I like your hair. It looks hey. really nice. Did you oh. condition it? Let's talk about Bob Dylan for a minute, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> well, my favorite part will be when Jacob Dylan is our guest Ooh, on the show. <laughs> good old Jacob. He'll, he'll just legitimize the entire operation. Hopefully he never listens to any of the episodes. I guess we're going to know what we actually feel about him. Well, we'll find out after we interview him for six hours. <laughs> Edit it down to 15 minutes. Yeah, sweet 15 minutes. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Bob Dylan did one more thing in 1970. He did more things? Yes, I'm sorry. It's, I told you it was a Bula base. Are you full yet? No, you're not. <laughs> yes. No, you're not. <laughs> Bob Dylan received an honorary doctorate in music from Princeton University. Woo! It should (laughs) 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 It should be noted that he did not want to go. He didn't like that sort of attention. Um, His wife and, (laughs) for some reason, David Crosby from Crosby, Stills, and Nash, who was like the most famous drug-addled court jester of the 1960s. Um, Right after Bob Dylan. Yeah, they were like, hey, man, you should go. You know, it'll be fun. And he went, and he was like, first he didn't want to wear the robe, but then they were kind of like, you should wear the robe. And he's like, fine. Stuck like the hat would not fit on his throw. 
No, no, he 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 decided not to not to stuff the hat over his fro. <laughs> 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 this is bad. <laughs> oh, why are farts funny? Why? <laughs> Uh, so um, he was unhappy the whole time, uh, except that David Crosby got him incredibly high on marijuana and sent, a, <laughs> sent him up there to receive his diploma. They said some really, that like... That makes everything go to, okay, down a little smoother, you know? They, they said some incredibly, like, weird, generationally, you know, um, off-topic things about him, about how he was this, you know, voice of this generation and stuff while he's standing there. And um, he, there is a famous photo that came out of it. He's standing next to Coretta Scott King. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like widowed widowed wife, who I guess yeah. she was also a singer. Activist I guess. in her own right. In her an own right. activist. She's a pretty amazing lady. Yes, absolutely. And also a singer, I guess, which I didn't know. No, I didn't um, know they're standing next to each other looking equally bemused. And that's about <laughs> it. Uh, Dylan wrote a song about it called... It must be strange to be called, like, the voice of your generation when you're, like, eight years older than the people there. Yes. Not yes. even. There was, it was college graduation. He's, like, four years old. He's just, yeah, he's just, he's just a young, he's a young man, but also the voice of a generation, apparently, which is just, which was kind of passing by that point. I mean, the sixties, the sixties were over, so they were over. It's kind of interesting. He wrote a song called "Day of the Locusts" about it, which is actually a good song. He put that on New Morning. So he released one one single called Wigwam. We'll give it points later. Chaz, I'm going to throw some points over to you right now. <laughs> Alright, well, we have got an album and not one, not two, not three, but four singles. Oh, he's just starting off with a bang, isn't he? <laughs> don't worry, Jake, don't worry. Space Oddity 2. Let's start with the singles. Space Oddity 4. We're going to kick things off with a little novelty single by the name of Ragazzo Solo, Ragazzo Sola. Number one. With a bullet. It is an Italian version of Space Oddity. Okay. <laughs> I knew it. I knew there were sequels. Yeah, yeah. I knew it. Yeah, it's happened. So Space Oddity <laughs> was released in August of 69. The album didn't come out until November, if I'm remembering right. Okay. Anyway, uh, the song, like somebody, some guy, you know, covered it in Italy, and it was becoming a big hit in Italy. And the Bowie's record label's like, we got to get you in there. Oh, yeah. So Bowie just, like... They, they used the exact same backing track. He sang the song in Italian based yeah. on this, you know, hit other hit version and released in Italy in hopes of, like, stemming the tide of this other hit version. This was how this all works. The thing Bowie did not know is what he was actually singing at the time. Okay. Because whenever they, they translated it into Italian, they it used none of the original lyrics whatsoever, as sure. far as I can tell. It's yeah, like why, a love why song. Why would you? Why oh, would I forgot you? to look up what... I, I think it's Lonely Boy, Lonely Girl is what the, t- the title actually means. That is bizarre. Okay. So Boy found that out later and was kind of like, oh, well. He's like, Arrivederci, why? <laughs> so uh, no no points in that one. There's no need for points on that one. No, zero Next points. Next up, what is The Prettiest Star, a well-known song because it showed up in a completely re-recorded different version on Aladdin Sane years later. Yep. But it was originally released in 1970 as the follow-up single to Space Oddity. Okay. I, and why they didn't use any of the perfectly serviceable songs on that album is anyone's guess. This is Who knows, single. man? It was the Wild West it's, back then. <laughs> it really was. Yeah. Singles were so weird. Nothing time, made any know? sense. And actually, in some ways, it's like it is now, where singles, you can just release singles like crazy because people you just do. buy them on, on digital, you know? That's all you do. 
But I'm too used to, you know, that time in between, like, you know, the 90s and 2000s, when, yeah. when people didn't release nine-album singles, especially no. in America, because nobody buys them. No, they put them, they put them on the B-sides, if any. They put them on the B's, yeah, yeah. And so nowadays, like, now people buy singles again, because you can just get them on, you know, digitally. You gotta anyway. Get, gotta jack those streaming uh, it's numbers. A, it's an okay song. The version on Aladdin Sane is quite good. Okay. This version's only okay. I'm giving that one also zero points. Okay. Next up, after that failed to chart in any way, they decided, hey... So if you're, you know, thinking to yourself, you're David Bowie's recording company, whatever, you know, whoever he's with at the time, RCA, I don't remember who he's with. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, we had a hit with Space Oddity. We released a non-album signal that did nothing. Shocking. What do we do? Yeah. Now, obviously, the only option, Jake, yeah. is to take a seven-minute song off of Space Oddity, uh-huh. have Bowie re-record it, yeah. and split it into two different songs. What? And release the first part as a single with the second part as the B-side. What? I mean, you know, we're oh, talking mean, as a record label executive. There's the only reasonable thing well, to do Well, clearly that's what anyone would do. I mean, shake it up and a little anyone bit, would guys. Do. Shake it up a little bit. So that's what they did. That's really weird. Is they took a seven-minute-long song. He re-recorded it as two parts. That's... And just the first part was the A-side, and the second part was the B-side. That's crazy. And the song really is like kind of two songs in one for that length. Like, sure. The second half is just like a refrain. It's, it's, a, it's called Memory of a Free Festival. Okay. About a festival that Bowie helped put on as part of his arts lab in 69, which he actually was fairly miserable at because it was like less than a week after his dad died. Oh, bummer. But, yeah, but he was, it was just this... Uh, you know, ode to this festival. But the entire second half of the song is him, like, singing the same refrain over and over again with more and more people hand-clapping and, you know, screaming and having fun and stuff. Yeah. So that's, that's all the B-side on this. That's really Anyway, weird. with that said, the re-recorded version is, I would say, better than the original version on the album. Okay. Fair. And I actually kind of like it. And it's a weird thing that this happened. <laughs> yes, it, the, yes, the it first is. version like goes into this refrain and just kind of fades out. And the second <laughs> version is just this refrain. Flip the, flip you the know, record. Three minutes or something. Flip it. So, I, but I actually kind of like it. I'm going to give it a half a point. Okay. There you go. There it is. And then, our last one is, now, uh, Man Who Sold the World, the album, had no true singles off of it. Right. Um, but there was one called All the Mad Men, which is a song in there. It's a good song. It was sort of a single. It was only released in certain territories and it was quickly withdrawn. Mm. And who knows what actually happened with this bad boy. I don't know. I'm giving it zero points, but okay. it was worth noting. So otherwise, Man Who Sold Noted. the World really didn't... Like, the, the song, The Man Who Sold the World, was never a single. Right. Actually, no, it was. In, the, in Bowie recorded in the 90s. It was released in the 90s as a single. But it wasn't at the time. <clears throat> Making The Man Who Sold the World the only one of his albums that didn't have a true single off of it. Interesting. The only one of the studio albums. Interesting. In a career full of too many singles, they just couldn't. In a career full of too many singles, <laughs> this time there weren't enough. Yeah. <laughs> that should be the name of his book. <laughs> no. So, zero book. points on that also. Just, you know, whatever's going on, they doesn't deserve it. All right. Finally, the uh, the meat of the Bula Bays uh, is, uh, <clears throat> is the album itself. A it's good album. Up. Most people would consider it Bowie's first truly great album. I would agree. Okay. His first truly great album. Great. Like I said before, it's really heavy. It's like it's kind of got like almost a Zeppelin edge to it, but it's it's got some bluesy stuff to it too. It's there's a lot of uh, a lot of tasty licks, as you as you know, as no, you know. I'm going to tell you how many, that there are tasty licks. Clearly, I can taste them. I can taste you can them, taste right, them now. right now. They're just um, in the air. It, Bronson is all over this album. Okay. There are various varying reports from the time. Some say that Bowie was like barely involved with this album that he just kind of provided the skeletons of the, of the tracks and the lyrics and that 
Visconti and Visconti is one of the who says this. Um, Visconti and Ronson really filled everything else in and did a lot of the rest of the work. Yeah, uh, Visconti would notably like quit working with Bowie after this, and so Visconti is not there for Bowie's, you know, for Hunky Dory or Ziggy Stardust oh. or Lens. He's not in there for the next, you know, four or five albums. Oh, I didn't he know comes, that. Comes back on Young Americans. Okay. If they had this is one of their they had a couple the two of them had a couple different falling outs another one after 1980 <laughs> and then he didn't come back until 2000 so that was a bigger one yeah clearly uh, and so and yeah they said that Bowie is mostly just like laying around smoking cigarettes and making out with Angie so mm, great <laughs> it's hard to say like how involved he is he still is given sole songwriting credit on all of the songs um, again there's a lot of people who say that Robson at the very least should have co-writing yeah. on credits on some of these but he doesn't so I don't know you know I wasn't hanging out I wasn't living in Haddon Hall at the you time not. I, no, I not, didn't show not up then. like six months later so yeah, you know, yeah. I can't yeah you showed can't up late for sure late <laughs> to the party but uh it's still a really great album it's kind of a dark album like I said there's a lot about mental illness and stuff there it's kind of a crazy freak out heavy album and it's good okay and I'm giving it I'm giving it a three there you go Plus three, for those at four. home, we have a, a system for our stuff of negative five to five for student albums. I'm giving this a three, positive three. Nice one. Nice so that ends us with a, a real solid three and a half. Yeah, nice solid. Real nice and solid. Okay. All right. We're gonna, I'm wondering. I really okay. don't know if Boy's going to win this one or not. I don't know either. And I, it's gonna happen. I'm going to add it up at the end just to just to keep up you know, the excitement for myself, oh, yeah. if nothing else. And we okay. said before, the two years in the 70s that I think Bowie could conceivably lose, this is one of them. The other one is 75, which I think a little step to lose, but it's gonna we'll be, another day. It's going to be close. I think, I think, I think Bowie's going to win. But let's, let, let's find out, Chaz, together. Okay, let's, let's find, find out, out together. Okay. For Let's Bob Dylan in 1970, let's do a very special non-80s edition of the Bad Bob Dylan Album Matrix. This is probably <laughs> this is probably the only album we can do this for uh, before 1985, I want to say. Okay. Okay, right. so out of 24 tracks, Chaz, this is what uh-huh. you're working with. How many new Bob Dylan original songs are on Self-Portrait out of 24? Uh, out of 24. 13. There's one. What? There's one oh. new Bob Dylan song on here. Okay. Wow. How many new Bob Dylan originals? Are they all? Go are ahead. they all like covers of different versions of his own songs, or what? Yes. So I'll get to that okay. in a second. Oh, okay, how, okay. how many new Bob Dylan originals are on here? Out of the one, have lyrics. Well, I'm gonna have to go with zero because otherwise, why would you ask this question? It's zero. The only new, <laughs> the only new Bob Dylan song on here that had never been heard before. Is an instrumental that is really weird. Uh, not weird. It's just really bad. Called Woogie Boogie. That's what it's called. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. How many yeah. feature Bob Dylan crooning? Ooh, yeah. Out of twenty-four. Oh man, out of twenty-four. Uh, You're gonna be lost throughout this entire matrix. Fifteen. Fifteen. There's six crooning songs on this album. Only six? Oh, come on. I know. Bob, you could <clears> croon more. Come on, Bob. Could you, could you just croon a little bit more? Please. For me. Uh, how many songs are credited to Bob Dylan out of twenty-four? Like who uh, credited him to to him as a writer? Um, eleven. There's fourteen. How many? How many? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> no, no. This is there's no way there's no way to know, Chess. This is just <laughs> I made this up to make you lost in your day, pretty much. Well, I already was, but now I have more. <laughs> it's working. Uh, okay, how many of those 14 
should have said, instead of saying B. Dylan, how many should have said arranged by B. Dylan, instead of him taking full credit for them? Uh, uh, 14. Yep. I'm going to say 10. Five of them should have said arranged by Bob Dylan. They were folk songs or somebody else's songs that he um, just arranged, traditional songs. Uh-huh. How many are sweet and tangy country confections? Six. Ooh, good one. Five. Very right, nice. Right. Very nice, Chaz. All right, you're getting the. Car, the, the you're getting it. Uh, how many are? How many <laughs> are? How many are from the Isle of Wight? Um, bad recordings from the Isle of Wight. The concert that he did in 1969 out of 24. Uh, four of them. Yes, you nailed it. You got it. <laughs> you got it. Oh, uh, you're back on track, baby. Okay. How many are just garbage songs? Just should not even be on any album anywhere. How many are garbage? Eight. Oh, five. Okay. Five are garbage songs. Hey, let's <laughs> let's talk about one of the garbage songs. It's a cover of Paul Simon's "The Boxer." Oh yeah. That's this may be song. the most famous bad song of uh, of Bob Dylan's career, or not famous, wow, okay. but I mean it's just really bad. So what he does is he um, he plays like a. It sounds like a. It sounds like a, a demo version of him like playing guitar for it, and then there's two voices. Uh, they they harmonize sloppily and not in time with each other. They're both Bob, uh-huh. they're both Bob Dylan. One of them he's singing in you know his regular kind of singing voice. It's not quite nasally, but it's not quite um, crooning. But then the second voice on top, the second the the harmony part is full croon. Which leads people, if it wasn't so bad... I know what I'm doing after this podcast. It would have... (laughs) You're going to go make your own version of The Boxer? (laughs) Yeah. Because it would would be a lot better than Bob Dylan's. Whatever you you come up with, it's going to be a lot better. Which led... (laughs) It's just a big fart is what it is. It led people to wonder if he did that on purpose and if that meant anything. Like, um, his crooning is subsuming his normal voice or... (laughs) You know, I wanted is this to make a really bad, is bad artistic statement. Are we? Is it a bad song, or is it just avant-garde? Or is it, a, is, it a, <laughs> is it a joke? Is it uh, which clearly I think it was, but I wasn't really clear at the time. Okay, how many are listenable? How many out of twenty-four are listenable songs? Um, nine. Man, you got it. Hey. Have you have you listened to Self Portrait a bunch this week? Oh, I think you have. No. Every week, Jay. <laughs> Thank you. Have. It's my favorite. All right, how many are indeed the only one I own? How many are great Dylan songs uh, vacillating between actually great and or odd and funny enough to make you smile? Four. I'm gonna go with uh, between one point five to two. On that. <laughs> okay. For reasons that we don't even need to get into. <laughs> Nope, and that's it. And how many actual Dylan classics are on here? One. There's one. And that's the single, Wigwam, which, um, and this is this is a hilarious song. It's just him. This is the one that I've, that I sung snippets of you too. that's on uh, uh, the Royal Tenenbaum soundtrack. Like, la-da-da-da-da-da, la-da-da-da-da-da. And there's like these swooping oh. strings that come in and out. Um, the other funny one is the song. It's the opener. It's called All the to- Tired Horses. And it's got um, female singers um, singing this over and over again for like six minutes. All the tired horses in the sun 
How am I supposed to get any writing done? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it. That's the song. But uh, oh, in, yeah. in true fashion, that's one of the uh, that's one of the great Dylan songs that I identified as being hilarious enough to to, to make a breakthrough. <laughs> well, nice one. All right, I'm gonna Is that get the half a song. Yeah, I would call it a half. You know, okay. there's there's a couple other ones, you know, on there. He does, like, two different versions of a song called Alberta, which is clearly a, a traditional song that he takes credit for, and one of those is good. Well, yeah, you gotta do that. So I'm gonna give... It's such a glorious mess. It's the most gloriously weird <laughs> album. It's probably... not his worst album. It's, you know... It's not, it's not his worst album. There's... It, it's like... But there, it's not exactly listenable at times uh-huh. either, and so... You know, it makes me smile, but that doesn't... We, talk, we talked about how when, when Bowie gets bad, he's irritatingly bad. But Dylan's is not. I think yeah, it sounds this, like this is, enter, this is Dylan being entertainingly it's bad. It's entertainingly bad. That's a good way to put it. So, it's bad, but it's entertainingly bad. So, I'm going to give it a negative 1.0. Okay. All right. Does that make sense cool, to you? Cool. I agonized. I agonized over that. Let's... Oh, and Wigwam, I'm going to give a plus one. It's, okay. it's the only classic. It's great. It's the only single he released the whole year, including his good album, which had no singles off it whatsoever. <laughs> sure, it's like, what are we talking about here? Okay, we're going to run quick through New Morning because we are, we are, uh, we're pushing it. We're pushing it. Lot, lots to happen in 1970. Okay, so I described New Morning. I'm just going to do a really quick rundown of uh, kind of the batting average of the album. So um, we're going to go great to classic Dylan songs out of a possible 12 or 6. There's six great to classic Dylan songs. Okay, on here. well. Uh, questionable to unnecessary. There's three of those. And there's odd to bad, or odd in a bad way. And those there's three of those. That's good. So he kind of went. So you should have taken the couple actually good songs off of uh, Self Portrait and just put them on that, and then you would have you know a semi classic. I would I would say that except the tone and the sound of each album is incredibly different. I'm not sure okay. you could have just lifted it, you know. Like he actually went in and recorded a real album for New Morning. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, it has it has it has a lot of good songs, and I this is one of my favorite Dylan albums to just like put on. It's real yeah. nice. It's real nice. Uh, he also this is the one with um, a jazz song with a female vocalist scatting over it called "If Dogs Run Free," which your spouse Claudia sent me from the library a book called If Dogs Run Free that somebody wrote. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, and it's credited to Bob Dylan. He wrote it because he wrote the lyrics to that song. Uh-huh. And uh, somebody, some intrepid uh, writer-illustrator made an entire song out of If Dogs Run Free. Entire children's book, yeah. Uh, the song Went to See the Gypsy, which uh, purportedly was about Bob Dylan going to meet Elvis, but Bob Dylan never did go to meet Elvis. Um, he said that he didn't want to meet Elvis and ruin it. He loved Elvis too much, which is probably okay. a, probably a decent idea in 1970. Okay, and then if not uh, for you... Andrew Riverman, you should have taken note of this. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew, wherever you are, we hate you, but also take our advice. Retroactively. Uh, we already talked about the song Day of the Locusts. There's a couple other fun ones on there, etc., etc. I'm going to give that a plus 2.5. All right. Good album. Good album. Actually, good album. Which brings us to... Oh, man, you beat me by one point. I did. I got 2.5. point there, yeah. If Dylan had released a couple singles off A New Morning, I would have I been up there. Yeah, yeah. You but they didn't release it. any. I mean, this is, we, we talked about the odd single release strategy. Why, why not release a single off of New Morning? I don't know. 
I don't know. I mean, Dylan was back after... That's why he didn't release any singles off of the man who sold the world, I guess. I after know. the interminable four-month wait of Bob Dylan being garbage. Right. He was back, baby. It was so long. It was too long. It was too long. I guess it was. You needed a reintroduction by way of no singles, I guess. <laughs> no singles whatsoever. Everyone forgot about him, but he was back. Uh-huh. All right, Chaz, what are we doing next time? We're doing uh, 1996. Wow. That's a different year. That's that different. is a different year than 1970. That's definitely... Those two years are not the same year. <laughs> in fact, they are actually different years. Yeah, in fact, they were 26 years apart. Nice one. Hey, thanks. <laughs> All right, we got to get out of here because this is a long one. Yeah, you know, the 70s, 60s, they're going to be... Uh-huh. They're going to be long ones, just like... Just like... Um, just like the, uh, the, uh, the length of your farts. Oh, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> Just leave everything with a bad... <laughs> let's, let's leave with a fake, like, radio sample thing. Okay. For our listeners here, you ready? All right, go for it. <laughs> no, woo! Goodbye, good night, and good luck.